Hello, and welcome back to Stern Chats. Again, you're here with me, Khalil. And I'm Neha. We're doing a two-part series on entrepreneurship at Stern. Today's episode is part two, so if you haven't listened to the first episode, it's already in your feed. We'll be talking to the founding force behind the Stern Venture Fellows Program, David Coe. David is the co-founder and CEO of Ripple Health Group. Ripple Health Group is an early-stage health tech startup whose mission is to clear the kitchen table. For families caring for someone with an illness, what does the kitchen table look like? It's covered in bills and charts and things like that. Ripple is focused on helping people experience healthier lives by connecting them to the care, support, and community they need. Prior to Ripple Health, David was a board member, president, and COO of Rally Health, a digital health company. Rally solutions are available to nearly 55 million people through health plans, care providers, and more than 200,000 employers. Rally was acquired by United Health Group in 2017. Prior to that, David was a COO at Zynga, which he helped take public in December 2011. Most importantly, he is part of Stern's Technology Advisory Board and helped launch the Andre Ku Tech MBA program. I would not be here without him. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Let's welcome David to the show. David, thank you again for being here. Prior to this, uh, last week, we spoke to Arash Asadi, one of the graduates of the SVF program. We are really inspired by what SVF represents. And so we wanted to go back to the source, to you, essentially. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. So what inspired SVF? Yeah, you know, I um, I've been working with the university in, in a number of different ways. And you know, there's a there's a lot of different ways that people give back to NYU. You know, some people give back, you know, uh, they do it in monetary. Some people obviously volunteer uh, and give time. And, you know, if you're fortunate, you can do a little of both. Uh, and so for myself, I, I've been uh, very kind of grateful that I've been able to kind of do both uh, over the last 30 years. And, you know, as my career has progressed, I have never forgotten kind of what laid the foundation for that in a lot of ways. Um, and I trace that back to my time at NYU. And so this was just really a natural progression for me, giving back to the university and to the students. And why this more active role? Exactly what you said. That's what I was really curious about, because we, of course, hear of the grants and hear so many, but you have not just been active from an uh, SVF perspective, but also in the tech MBA, also providing projects for our peers to come in. Evan, one of my classmates, he was lucky enough to you know per- participate in you know in Ripple Health, and he was telling me you came in and said you know ch- and he was really you were challenging him to redefine healthcare and think of a vision for the next five years and ten years, and you were asking them to think bigger and bigger. So. It's your you have the breadth as well as the depth. What inspires you to get so involved at the at these levels? Yeah, and, and uh Evan Poe and, and Bay and Chris actually were three tech MBAs um that were um essentially kind of part of our startup in our late in our latest company, which I'm sure I'll talk about a little later. And um I gotta tell you, I think you know, when you have the opportunity to work with startups um, for a large part, we just wanted to get them involved and feel a part of the team. So, so often, you know, interns are used different ways and I really viewed them as full-time employees. Um, The whole company really embraced them as full-time employees. 
And so we challenge them like full-time employees. So rather than just saying, here, do some kind of you know, meaning, meaningless tasks, we put them to a challenge to help define our strategy, um, help think about things that we weren't thinking about because uh, too often you kind of you kind of just get caught up in the, your own day to day. And so when you've got three incredible students here who are in the NBA program and can think differently and have time, they came back and just kind of knocked our socks off. I will tell you in the beginning, I felt like they played it a little safe. Um, and, and, and that's just because it's natural, right? You, you, you want to hit the ball in the middle of the fairway. And I'm like, no, listen, we're, we're here to swing for the fence. And if we're going to make meaningful change in whatever field you're going to do it in, don't be afraid to put yourself out there. And I think, you know, one of the things for them was that in the beginning, they played it really safe. And then they came back later with something that was like really thought provoking. And I was like, that's exactly what we're looking for. We may or may not use that. It doesn't matter. Um, but you put yourself out there, which I was really proud of. Uh, and I think that will help them, you know, as they work in other types of startups going forward, um, because it puts them out of their comfort zone. And that's something that's kind of really important as you kind of work with smaller companies that don't have the time to be all corporate, right? We don't, we don't need 45 revisions of something. Just what are you thinking off the cuff? Um, you know, put it on paper. Don't worry about making it perfect. You know, we'll iterate on it and we'll figure it out over time. Absolutely. And it was so inspiring for us as students to listen to their final presentations and as they push their thinking. But I want to I want to dig in a little bit more around that kind of swinging for the fences, this bigger picture thinking. Is that also what was uh, running through your mind around SVF and the design of SVF? Because I think that's that's interesting in that it's three months. There's, of course, you know, the 10K grand, but there's programming involved. There's a West Coast trek involved. What was running through your mind around, you know, this is what entrepreneurs need to be successful? You know, if you if you enlighten me, I'll give you a little bit of the background here. Um, so I graduated in 93. And um, it took me a little while to figure out how I give back to the university in my own way, because I think that's a very personal thing. You know, you get lots of notices on how you can give back financially. But, you know, at some point, I think it was like in 2003 or 2005, um, you know, I started to think about like, OK, you know, I'll, I'll start to donate a little back to the university monetarily. And that was it was small gifts for me. It was like maybe a couple of hundred dollars here or there um, over a couple of years. And, you know, as I um, progressed in my own career, those grants became a little larger and larger. And at some point, I kind of was like, I wonder where all this is going to, uh, how this is being used, you know, and I started to ask some questions. And I, and I will tell you, to NYU's credit, they answered and responded. And they were a lot. And so at some point, I was very fortunate enough to get a meeting with um, Peter Henry at the time. And I know he's been on one of your podcasts uh, early on in the past. Yeah. And, you know, he was fantastic. And we kind of talked through it. And eventually my donation became a little bit larger. But he also gave me the opportunity to meet some of the students that it was going to affect. And I think for me, that was one of the most powerful things that happened probably like in 12 or 2012, 2013 where I got to meet some of the students and hear their stories. And, you know, when you hear some of their stories about 
you know, some of them were like, you know, coming from Queens or, you know, single family homes, the parent, you know, the parent work, two or three jobs. Um, it kind of got me inspired to figure out how I could do more. So then I started to lean in and figure out, okay, let's go give time and something financially. That led to meeting students who wanted to go start companies. And I started that meeting students who wanted to start companies in 1415 because they were curious because I had just taken Zynga public in 2011. Yep. Um, and we started to just talk about that. But many of them, because of the internet, and I know you had another guest like Scott Galloway talk about this, like there's so much more well-informed today, right? Students today um, do have the confidence to go start companies, which we didn't have like in 93 because of the cost of starting companies back in 93 are so inherently different from starting companies, you know, in 12 and then even today, which is much easier. And so, you know, as these students were going to look and start companies, they wanted to kind of go drop out of school or do other things. And I was like, wait, wait, stay in school. <laughs> Let me talk to you about all the merits of staying in school. And let's talk about the companies you want to go start and maybe how we can help. Now at the time, NYU didn't have like all of those things in place. They were trying to figure it out, right? And to that, to 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 all of their credit around Andy Hamilton, you know, Peter Henry, and I would say, you know, Raghu Sunderman, they came in together and started to create programs around entrepreneurship and really allowed, you know, folks my, like myself to engage and then create programs that they tried. Um, and eventually it started to get larger and larger and create a life of its own. And now you see many different programs within the university that encourage students to go try it. If it doesn't work, it's okay. But more importantly, it allows you to stay in school and do both, which I think is the most important. Absolutely. And who better than me to vouch for, I think, as a product of these experiments that NYU is conducting around entrepreneurship and technology. One of the reasons why many of the Tech MBA students choose to come to NYU is because of this balance uh, of both and not having to compromise and give up maybe on the promise of school. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a few questions from the ESA club, which is the Entrepreneurial Association. And they, they all know that you're coming on this podcast. So they sent in a few questions. What advice would you give people with some professional experience that have entrepreneurial ambitions, but don't quite know what to do with that desire or energy? What are their options? Yeah, yeah. So I get that question quite often. And, and I will tell you, it differs from the undergrads to the grads, right? Because um, yeah. you have two different really cohorts. The undergrads who were the first cohort of SPF come in with nothing to lose. They're just kind of like, hey, we're here in the university. We're going to throw up like 5,000 different ideas, see what sticks. You know, my parents are paying for it or we're on aid. You know, it's kind of interesting to hear their risk profile. It's super high. Right. And so they come in and, and to their credit, they're like, you know, if it doesn't work within like 35 days, they're trying something else. Um, and I see that quite often. So my first cohort in 16 dealt with the undergrads. And what's really interesting is some of those undergrads are in my new cohort in 2021. So like five years later, they've done four startups. I've got one individual who's on his fourth startup and it's kind of cool because they're 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 kind of living their dream and trying different things. That's incredible. The MBAs come in with a little bit more work experience, as you know, um, 
And, and sometimes, you know, they're, they're at a different place in their lives. Um, you know, they, some of them have families now, or they're contemplating it, or they're just a couple of years in, they've got, some have student debt, you know, and so they're just in a different place. And they're kind of wondering, you know, what's that right thing for me as an individual, as I think about starting a company, should I start a company or should I go to a larger company um, and then go to a company? And so my advice normally differs between kind of where you are in that continuum. Um, for most graduates, I will tell you, or who are in MBA programs, who absolutely want to have that startup bug to go, um, you know, I, I, I do encourage them to work with some of the larger tech firms that are out there today. And I only say that because I think it gives you such a great foundation. You know, um, I am always in awe of any MBA or any undergrad who wants to start their own company because, you know, when I think about myself, it took me 20 years to kind of get to that place where I could be starting my own companies. Um, and that was like, because it was a series of steps and many grads and undergrads are skipping steps today because of how technology has accelerated all that and how well informed you're coming into it. So you're skipping all these steps. I didn't have a lot of that self-confidence courage, know-how, um, and uh, an understanding of how to put it all together um, and capital. Whereas today, it doesn't take a lot of capital. You can read all about it on the internet um, and you've got a great network to pull from. So, you know, it's very different. So, you know, look, what I would tell many folks today, if they're graduating from the MBA programs and others is leverage what you're getting within the network, utilize the network, um, because one other thing I will tell you, and I've heard this on some of your other podcasts, I think Greg Coleman said this, who's a former alumni with myself from, from Yahoo. The undergrads are fearless. They'll ping you 45 times. They don't care. The grads are much more like, they're, they're much more like, oh, should I ping that? They overthink things. You know what I mean? And I'm like, go ahead. Like we did. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You totally overthink things, right? You're just kind of like, should I? You're much more thoughtful. Okay. Uh, that's the word I'd use thoughtful and a little bit more cautious um, because you wonder like, am I bothering that individual? Whereas like, my God, the, the undergrads are like, you haven't pinged me back in 20 minutes. I need to know how I become CEO of this company. Please answer me right away. Right. And so all I would tell you as a group is one, leverage the network. Don't be afraid to reach out. It's okay. If they don't respond, reach out again. Because uh, eventually, if you are, uh, if you need to get to that person, they will, you know, like the NYU community is great. The network is great. They will respond eventually. And sometimes just be a little bit like the undergrads, be a little bit, be a little bit fearless. Don't worry about, you know, rejection because you, you didn't have that fear at some point and you kind of became like a little bit more hesitant along the way. So gain back a little of that. So I always tell the undergrads, be a little bit more like the grads sometimes. You don't have to send 45 text messages within an hour span. And I tell the grads, hey, be a little bit more like the undergrads and you can reach out and don't, and, and it's okay if they don't respond. Absolutely. Uh, we grew up. It's so sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd love to go back to your, your time at Stern and school. And you spoke about leveraging Stern and how it was a really important part of your journey. Tell us a little bit more about what that what you did at school to really make the most of maybe 
building on those steps that you spoke about to becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah, you know, you know, in life, what you don't recognize sometimes is like the journey, right? Because everything has to be like, um, you know, our society is being built so much about like the on-demand instant gratification. And so you want everything faster, like whenever or wherever and however you want it, you want it now. And what you start to realize at, at NYU, and this was part of the things I didn't realize so much later in life, is how all these things in life that you're going through are these essential building blocks so that when you get your shot, you can have the best shot on goal. And, you know, rather than just kicking the ball wildly all over the field. Um, and I think at NYU, some of the things that, you know, I often tell people is, you know, go outside your comfort zones. You're in a very, you know, safe zone of the network. So, um, I didn't recognize it at the time, but when I was in undergrad, um, starting in 89, like I had, my roommates came from film and, and the arts and some of the things that I was really enamored with, with them was how they just put themselves out there at a really, you know, how they would go do these film classes and just, you know, kind of ad lib things. And I'd be like, what are y'all doing out there? And they would practice in the hallways. And I, you know, I had I, I, half the time I thought they were drinking too much. And it, it wasn't that, right? It was just the fact that they were practicing and they were developing their craft. And, you know, and I actually did a couple of student films with them, um, which just kind Whoa. of put my, yeah, which, which I was like, terrible. I hope none of that film is ever found because it was so bad. I was actually going to ask, that as a yeah. next question. Can we yeah. get some of this footage? <laughs> yeah. And it just puts yourself out there, right? You just put yourself out there. And, 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 and at some point, one of, some of them got me to try out for a Broadway musical, which again, thank God there are no camera phones really back then because uh, I tried out for Miss Saigon and it was, it was That's uh, so cool. <laughs> and it was so bad, but it was more like they were challenging me saying, Hey, um, you don't know how hard it is to do what we do. And you may think it's really easy. So why don't you go try what we're doing? And I was like, oh, it must be super. So I, I did it. Obviously, I was very thankful that the producers there who or whoever looked at it was very much like, hey, we're really looking for professionals. And that was their kind way of saying, please leave. <laughs> but, you know, it was something where sometimes you just got to put yourself out there. Um, but I, but my, you know, kind of academic career was more around accounting and finance. Um, it's not where eventually where my passion was, um, but I recognize like, hey, I think it's a good foundation. So I did accounting first. Um, I went into investment banking later after a little a, a brief stint in accounting, and then from there went into went into the internet, moved west to go work at Yahoo. And you know, look, all of that at time were building blocks to kind of get me where I was today. So later in life, who knew? Um, to take a private company public like Zynga, I had to utilize some of those accounting and finance skills. And it wasn't just about what I had done, you know, kind of as a product person or as in business development or in other areas. At some point, I moved internationally, but I wouldn't have had that confidence to move internationally if I hadn't done it at NYU and kind of worked through a program where I got to go overseas for six months to Japan and Korea. And I think that gave me the confidence to go, hey, you know what? I can go move overseas because I did it when I was at college. So a lot of my advice today is when I encourage people to go take programs overseas, even 
um, or to go work overseas early because those are experiences that are just, you know, life changing um, and how the world is moving. David, just, you know, rounding off this section on kind of advice for students and entrepreneurs, are there any non-obvious experiences that are available to people during their MBA that you find SVF fellows and maybe other entrepreneurial MBAs overlooking? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times when you're in those programs, it's good to try and look at different things. So what I love about what even Evan um, was doing with ourselves, right, um, with Bay and Chris was they got to hear, just like yourself, other students' presentations. And one of the things I often encourage them to do is like sometimes, you know, band together. Starting a company is really hard. And even now, when people ask me about like, hey, you started a company with friends again, you could have done it by yourself. Why did you do it with others? I said, because I got to tell you, it's a really lonely place to, to be. Um, there's all this pressure. And even now, the the things that we've done just give you a little bit of a slight edge and they don't guarantee success. So past success is no guarantee for future success. And so, you know, my advice to a lot of students like the MBAs today is when you are in programs, they like yourself and you hear different things that are happening around you, um, go leverage that, go hear what they're doing hear hear how their programs went hear about their experiences. Um, and you guys as a, group should really be informational sharing and then reaching out to other areas, whether it's the FBF program or whether it's the Berkeley program, reach out to them and hear what they have. Because you've got like you've got almost like a mini VC working in a lot of ways. Um, and in the you know, when you go to any VC and you work and you take money from them, what do you really get access to? It's their network. And those CEOs and those entrepreneurs come together and we share stories. We go, hey, what's worked well? What third party service is working well? Um, who would you go work with distribution? You know, we don't have all the answers. We're, we're like spending time talking amongst ourselves. Well, guess what? You have that same network right in front of you. And so, you know, NYU offers you that network, whether it's this amazing faculty, you know, like they have in front of you today. Um, whether it's your past guest speakers or whether it's folks, um, you know, who are on these different programs. I know I noticed one of my former um, students in SVF, Leah from Pepper, was on one of your podcasts as well, uh, Leah yeah. Winograd. And, you know, go reach out to them, you know, because they they're starting companies, raising money. You know, I look at my cohort, even within SVF. A number of them have just raised money. Um, you know, from my 2017 class, um, Josh from Ephemeral, uh, which was a tattoo, um, you know, kind of like these disappearing tattoos uh, over a year, although I, I, I won't try it until it's more kind of on its way. <laughs> you know, they just raised money at a pretty at a pretty good valuation. Um, and I'm super proud of them uh, in terms of their journey as well. If I was if I was all you on the tech MBA, I'd go reach out to them and be like, hey, talk to me about your journey. Tell me the things that went well and tell me what you would have done differently going forward. And they're all part of the NYU network. They're all sitting right in front of you. So I'd be leveraging that uh, all day long. No tattoos for you then, David. <laughs> <laughs> 
Great. Well, I'd love to hop in. So David, as I mentioned, I'm an MBA who's pivoting pretty hard towards health um, with like no prior background in that area. Um, and for me, that was driven by uh, some experiences with terminal illnesses in my family, uh, both in the run up to and during my business school experience. So I'd love to hear a little bit more um, about you and, and how and why you decided to enter the health space. Yeah. Yeah, you know, healthcare wasn't a natural pivot for myself. I'll be, I'll be very frank with you. Um, many folks that get into healthcare today um, get into them very similar to kind of what you're talking about: the personal experiences that you go through and life-changing experiences, and then you start to, then you start to go into the field, or you're trained in the field, um, like many folks that come from the healthcare profession, whether they're nurses or doctors or whatnot. So they come from the field in some sort. You know, for myself, uh, it came from somebody who I consider a mentor, a great friend, um, and his name is Jack Rowe, who is the former uh, CEO uh, of Aetna, and, which was acquired by CVS. And, you know, Jack, I met him in 2011, um, uh, essentially. And it, um, it was one of those life-changing experiences where I was taking a company public, Zynga at the time, and he asked a very simple question to me. Um, and the question was, um, how many people play games every day? And I said, well, on our network, we've got about 100 million people a day that play games. And this is 2011. It's about 10 years ago. And he said to me, that's amazing. Imagine what you could do if you had 100,000 people a day focused on their health and engaging in their health. Um, you could not only you know, bring happiness to people that are playing those games, you could change people's lives. Um, you could save people's lives. And, you know, that stayed with me for a long time. Now, while I didn't pivot into healthcare right away, uh, in 2013, I had the opportunity while leaving uh, Zynga to then kind of look to become a board member of this company, Audix Health, and eventually kind of lead the company going forward um, as a board member investor and one of the things that really inspired me um, uh, around that was just was was just around the, that notion. And so the more and more time I spent there, the more and more time I saw how things I had learned and done, whether it was at Yahoo, whether it was at uh, Zynga, was all around engagement, getting people to engage. And in healthcare, there's what you realize is there's all these amazing programs and services that are out there today, but people really don't engage with them um, because it's not like instant. Um, so you can't you can't walk a mile and lose five pounds immediately. You know what I mean? Like you're not you're not going to stop drinking that soda and say, oh, my God, I lost all this weight the next day. So it's not like immediate. Um and so when you think about health, usually it kind of falls like, you know, you'll think about like finance, you'll think about your relationships, you'll think about your job. And then health is usually kind of at the bottom. But if there's something that happens in your life around healthcare, like some episodic event that happens, like you're sick, a family member, well, guess what happens? Those three things don't matter much anymore. Health becomes number one. And what I started to recognize with that was I'd love to take a lot of what I've learned and then move that in. Um, we were very fortunate to grow uh, a company to 500 people from a very small amount um, and then eventually get acquired by United Healthcare in 2017. I stayed there for a few years afterwards, which was a great experience, um, and then decided to go do it on my own again. 
which has been great too. So, you know, happy to walk you through any of that. That's awesome. Yeah. And I love the point you make about like engagement and specifically I've lived that journey of, you know, suddenly everything else is off the table and health, which was always in the back of our minds, like is the only thing that, that anyone's thinking of. Um, I'll say anecdotally at Stern, I feel like I've noticed over my two years here, um, a growing interest in the intersection of health and technology. Of course. Um, and I wonder what else you might think, or you might hope most people would know about that space? Like, is there anything maybe um, you think people tend to get wrong or something you wish more people kind of understood about what it looks like to be playing at that area um, between the two at this moment in time? Yeah. So when I first went into healthcare, um, you know, in 13, one thing that I um, took with me was, um, so a lot of times when you hear about companies that are being formed here in Silicon Valley, um, you hear, or Silicon Alley, um, you hear a lot about disruption, right? Everyone's like disruption, disruption. And, and for me in healthcare, I didn't think that term was appropriate. And it was because, you know, so much of what you can do when you're direct to consumer and you're kind of building apps in the ecosystem and you're kind of creating social networks or you're creating other things. Yes, you can disrupt many different things. But for me in healthcare, because of the linkage between um, hospitals, um, insurance companies, the government, you know, and things you do in direct to consumer, you know, it's it's not so much about disruption here. It's more about like, how can this ecosystem work together in a more efficient manner? Because everybody holds a piece of that ecosystem. And if that ecosystem doesn't work well, and you just disrupt one area, you get kind of shut out of the other areas. And so for me in the beginning, it was more about like, how do you work together? And how do you work together better and more efficiently? Because if you do that, the, the, the ultimate like end person that wins is the consumer. It's you. Um, and if you don't, the person that loses is the consumer. It's the patient. And so, you know, for me, it's about like, how can that ecosystem work better together? Uh, and we've kept that notion um, as an underlying, I would say, foundational aspect for us as a company um, since we've started our last two. And, you know, we've been really kind of humbled with how many people agree with. Now, look, there's a lot of people that talk about disruption. That's fine. And it happens in many different ways. But for us, one of the things was it's less so more about saying, oh, we're going to disrupt the hospital or we're going to disrupt this insurance company or we're going to we're more like, how can we get them to work better together? And if we can do that and share information together, um, share it more efficiently, more effectively, um, then the whole ecosystem will win and rise. And it's not about one company winning in this ecosystem. It's about multiple companies winning. So when people come to me and say, hey, I'm, I'm doing a startup in your area. What advice do you have? I share everything because there is so much room here for multiple companies to do well. Uh, I love sharing everything we've done. So I don't hold back knowledge. I know some people always kind of hold that stuff back. But I think for me, you know, maybe because I'm a little bit older, I'm happy to share everything we've learned um, because I want all boats to rise. And, you know, if you can kind of get over the secrecy part and like saying, okay, like all boats rise, then the entire ecosystem will benefit. And then ultimately the member and the patient will benefit. And so, you know, that's kind of like a little bit of a foundational element that we continue to, to ultimately believe in. I love that. 
Looking towards the future, where do you see some of the most exciting upcoming opportunities in health tech or healthcare at large? And is there anything you've been working on recently that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, yeah. So so I think there's so many areas, right? And and look, it could be from the macro to the micro, right? So it can be sometimes changing healthcare can be very personal. Um, I will tell you in my own journey with this company, we started around Ripple Health Group. When I first got um, back with my two co-founders who came from my prior company, um, so my uh, the CTO and the head of product, we sat down and we said like, what do we want to be the underlying foundation for us going forward? And that foundation, I didn't want it, I didn't want it to be like a 45 uh, word mission statement. I just said in like, what can describe us in one word? And and the reason I say that is because um, when I look at companies, whether they were like Google, I always I always thought about them as search. Um, when I look at Facebook, I always thought about share. When I thought about Amazon, I was like shop. When Zynga, my prior company, was about play. So our underlying one word was help. So I always wanted it to be like, okay, if we're going to do anything, it's going to be to like help this person or help the system or help. So use help first before we before we finish the sentence. Um, and that's really helped uh, to ground us in, in many different ways, right? And so for me, the personal thing came in where uh, while I was thinking through how to, what thing we were going to do next, um, you know, as three friends got together and under the mantra of help, it was, I was in Korea with my mother, I was taking care of my grandmother. And she, uh, and I noticed this like mound of paper, you know, pill boxes. And I was like, wow, in the, one of the most technology advanced countries in the world, you're still doing everything by, you know, pen and paper. And so how do we start to make that easier to core, you know, kind of um, converse with your doctor, your hospital, your insurance provider? And that's where kind of that initial idea kind of stemmed from. So like you, it was a personal experience. And from there, we built out an app that was called Like Paper. So it was, you know, hey, be like paper, but better. So you can take back the kitchen table. It's a healthcare organizer. And then from there, we built out our first uh, payer insurance product that we're going to that we've just launched. And so we're really kind of proud of that progress we made. But for many people, it starts out like you in a very personal, um, you know, respect and, and, you know, you kind of build it from there. That's amazing. And speaking of the personal, I'll, I'll be a little selfish now and, and pick your brain for my own benefit. Um, so I have found myself this year torn between entering healthcare from like the more corporate path, so consulting for me, versus jumping right in with some uh, startup opportunities. So, like I'm in English Frontier Labs. I'm working with a startup in the oncology space. Really excited about it. And uh, Nay and I were talking and she likened it to like the difference between working at a bank versus going right to fintech. Um, what do you think are some of the unique experiences that starting at a startup um, might offer that some of the more traditional paths might not. Yeah, look, look I, I I tell this to even, so today I'm very humbled by the 25 individuals that have followed um, my three co-founders and I to our current company. And, but when I start meeting with them, I often tell them, hey, I want to give you a couple of stats, okay? Um, if you look at from like 2016 to 2020, there were over a million startups that were formed. Um, when you look at the number of startups that eventually kind of like um, got to like a, a, a Series A, for example, 
there's probably about 33,000 based on Crunchbase. So it's it's roughly 33,000 out of that million. And then from that million, how many actually got to a B, C, or D round? There's about 2,000. And then how many actually went public or got acquired at a meaningful number? It was probably 38. And so walk in knowing uh, that it's probably not going to work. And they're kind of like, is that the pitch? I'm like, yeah, it's the pitch. You know, it's not going to work. Um, you know, and they're like, wow, okay. That's not what everyone else is telling me. I'm like, yeah, but I'm like, I want to let you know that when you walk into these things, it's about the experience. It's about the learning. It's about what, what do you want to get out of this? And, you know, the, 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 the game has changed in many different ways. You know, historically it was like, go to these big companies, go to a bank, do kind of like what many of us did. Well, because of the pace of technology, you don't have to do all those things. And you can jump from startup to startup and not everyone even stays four years. I stayed at my first technical public startup for 10 years. And then it was like, um, and then it, and then it kind of got progressively shorter. Um, and so that game has changed uh, amongst many people. So even for yourself, it's really what you want to get out of it. Um, I think many of the startups offer you a very, you, you, you learn everything. It's an incredible experience. You learn everything very quickly, you know, and I think that's great if that's what you're looking for. Um, if you go to a larger uh, public company, one of the FANG, um, I think what you get out of that is is an amazing name, but you also get you get to see how a larger company operates because sometimes scale is the thing that is most lacking in startups, right? So when you're when you're at a larger company, like look, when I was at United Healthcare, the scale was immense. It was ama- it was just amazing the scale that they operate at. And then you come to your own company. Yeah, I'm doing a lot. It's 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 much more hands on, but I don't have scale, um, and that scale comes from those experiences, and so. You know, you have to ask yourself, like, well, can I go do these startups and then get to scale or can that startup get to scale or do I get the scale first and then go to the startups and try to get there later? So that's a personal decision in in life, right? Like, it's hard for me to tell you, go do that. I generally tell people to go to the larger companies first, but historically, that's kind of where I came from. And then I tell people, go to the smaller companies. And then if you want to start a company, you can get there in these three steps. It took me a long time to get there. You'll get there a lot faster, um, but it's just something that's really kind of personal, ultimately, to you at the end. And it's it's. And I would tell you if you had Evan on this podcast or Bay or Chris, they would probably tell you that's the exact same advice I gave them uh, as I've, I've been mentoring them as they're trying to make their own decisions about what they do next as well. Thank you. That's amazing. Uh, Yeah. And super helpful for me. And I bet super helpful for some of our listeners as well. I'm glad that we get to listen to some of your internal conversations with your employees, as well as some of our classmates. So I'm going to remember that. Is that the pitch? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the the pitch is it's it's so, you know, I, I mean, I often tell this, you know, while while we've been very fortunate as a group, many of us have worked together and so when I ask people, okay, well, how many of you have had a big outcome and, and had a sale? Many of us raise our hand and I say, okay, remember something. One is we're very fortunate to have been through that. But I will tell you two things. One, just because we have an outcome doesn't make us smart. You know, it kind of makes us pretty lucky. And remember to stay humble. Um, you know, all throughout, I think one of the core things 
that has, um, you know, person from a personal note that has helped in, in my own journey is humility. Um, you know, I don't need, I don't need, um, public validation for personal validation. Um, and so I often say that to folks because so often people seek that, you know, public validation and, and it forces them to do things sometimes that they may not want to do. And so if you kind of free yourself of the public validation points and you say, Hey, do I feel internally satisfied with what I've achieved? It sometimes helps you think from a different vantage point. Um, because so much of the world today is around public validation. And so, you know, I am, you know, I kind of, I kind of weave that in a little bit just because if you can stay humble and true to yourself, uh, with, and not let any of this get to your head and really internalize, you know, the personal validation over the public validation, it's kind of two things too, where it can just kind of keep you a little bit more self-centered in this journey. That's huge. And we we hear of these concepts. We're obviously wrestling with these concepts at school, but I think to hear you say that in the context of where you are right now, that's such a brilliant example for us to grasp these concepts of humility and being centered. So thank you for that. Anytime. I want to uh, also just share one of the reasons why I really wanted to have this conversation was the first time Evan presented uh you know, their project, he said, the mission of Ripple Health is is to clear the table. And I just sat there, I remember sitting in my chair just thinking, wow, it's a, the first time after a long time that I'd heard a vision statement that I could actually visualize. It was so simple to your point, you know, you've, I'm so glad you already spoke about it. But it just so resonated. And I think for me on the other side, not as a founder, but as a student or as an employee, that's the vision that you want to join, that you connect with, and that those are the leaders that you want to follow. How did you craft this? And you spoke about the story, you spoke about your grandmother, but tell us a little bit more about how you really crafted that that one line with such ease and beauty. Yeah, and some and some of that came from, you know, and Cleos, uh, um, you mentioned this just a, a little while ago. You know, when you think of health, it means different things to different people, but mostly it, it, people think about it around the absence of disease. And so when they when they talk about health, it normally kind of goes there because they'll talk about, okay, I uh, unfortunately I've had some friends who have gone through cancer. You, you, they they kind of gravitate more to 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 some condition. And when you really think about what your health journey is, it's it's a life journey, and Health is really broad. You know, um, for me, I often talk to the company around like, think about like the most impactful way, okay, we can bring your physical and your mental and your social help essentially to every person that's out there. And so if you can like really think about health as being something that combines physical, mental, and social, it's, it's larger. It's a large, it's, we're going after something that's much larger and, and, and that could wrap into things like social determinants of health. Um, so when you're asking like where things may be going, you can look into those different buckets because much of health too is determined by like access. Do you have the appropriate access, uh, to food and the right types of nutrition? Do they have the appropriate access to education? Do you have the appropriate access 
to the things that could help you for physical activity. Um, and, you know, and so much of that people don't talk about because it's so broad and hard uh, to think about all those areas around social determinants of health or social determinants of life. And so, you know, when, when we talk about things here internally, I always kind of gravitate and try to simplify things in a way that says, okay, there's a lot of buckets we could go after um, and try to effectuate change, but let's start one small step at a time and let's create building blocks so that when we look up one day, we've created these foundational aspects and we've started to really move things. So yes, we may start in the caregiving world, um, which we started our first company around. Um, that's because, you know, there's 77 million people that technically qualify in, as part of this population. Um, there's 10,000 people a day that are aging into Medicare. Um, there's what people don't even know is, you know, you may not even be categorized. My mom doesn't consider herself a caregiver, but she's categorized technically as a caregiver. She just thinks it's family, but she goes through high stress. Um, they go through a lot of, you know, economic hardship trying to take care of other people because, you know, the roles reverse when you are, you know, you were a parent, you know, you were a child one day and you were getting, being taken care of your parent. Now you're the parent taking care of your, your parents. And so it's completely reversed. Um, and many of us are not prepared to go, go through that because it happens at a moment's notice. Um, sometimes, you know, it could happen with a fall or it could ha it may not be as gradual, so you're kind of thrust into these situations um, and you're not really ready for them. Um, and so they can happen with the aging population. They can happen with something episodic. Um, and what we're trying to do is just help that help you in that journey. We're not going to solve it because there's, it's, there's so many complexities to it. We're just trying to make it a little bit easier for you as you enter that journey. That's beautiful. And for student entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in general, what advice do you have around crafting that vision? First of all, does it, does it even matter? Is it important for entrepreneurs to really have that one-liner, that vision? Yeah, I, I, you know what I think is really important is um, there's so many aspects where entrepreneurs want to sit down, they start with a the vision. They, they've heard it many different ways, right? You go out there today, you can go on any VC website, you can go to Y Combinator, you go, and you'll hear things about the mission, the vision, how do you get there? the platform, and they'll have all these aspects of it, right? But when I ask many of them, like, what, it, what does it mean to you, right? Like, what does it really mean deep within? Do you believe it? Forget about, like, if, if it's, like, the right thing to say. Do you believe it? And when times get tough, is that something you can kind of hold on to that's going to center you? Because here's what happens in most companies. You write these things, and they sound great on paper. And then you start to kind of, you know, think, you know, you write them down. That's great. And then you start to hire some people. Everything's kind of like what you feel is moving in the right direction. But every company will enter periods of hardship. And it's really that belief in the vision and the mission statement to me that will get you through those periods of hardship. If you believe in what you're saying, because you're going to have to center on something. And so if you center on something that you really personally believe in, you're willing to give up everything to go do it, it will get you through some of those, uh, I would say, hard and dark times. But if it was something that you just wrote in a piece of paper because it sounded good and it passed the VC sniff test, you're not going to get there, you know, because you're not going to believe in your own BS. 
And so I would, I would ultimately challenge you to craft something that you believe in, right? And, and take the time to do that and, and recognize it may change over time. And that's okay too, right? It's, it doesn't have to, no one's expecting you to do it perfect from the beginning anyway. You know, that's why many VCs don't invest in first-time entrepreneurs. You know, they invest in people who have been there the second, third, or fourth time because they know the first time ain't going to go well. Um, and so they're investing in folks that are kind of serial entrepreneurs or have done it a few times in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And David, what are you working on now? What's top of mind for you? Yeah, no, I mean, we're 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 continuing to grow the company. We, um, you know, we've been doing this since uh, end of 2019, which we started. Um, I'm very grateful to the 25 employees um, that have joined us really during this pandemic. Um, and, you know, just to be able to hire, um, have everyone be safe and healthy during this process, it has not been easy for people. You know, I can't, I can't imagine I often tell this, you know, for many of us, as we've been older, you know, yes, you know, we can, we can spend time in our homes and, and whatnot and, and have a little bit more space. But I think about that student, which we've been, we, we've hired very young people too, who don't have the space and had to kind of live through the last two years and how tough that's been. You know, when you're starting your career, you're not in tune with the hallway conversations that, you know, and those little coffee moments to network, to get to know one another on a personal basis. Zoom has been great from a technology perspective. You know, obviously we, it, this pandemic would have been very different if it happened 20 years ago, but there's that human element that you cannot take away. And so I think everyone is yearning to kind of get more of this hybrid mentality back into place. Um, we've been fortunate to have been meeting up in our own kind of pods along the way um, and keeping that kind of, you know, with testing and and getting together. But, you know, that's been hard on, on much larger companies. So for me, I'm just very grateful, uh, first and foremost, for the employees that have joined us on this journey. And, and this journey for us is very young. We, we've, we've launched two different products that, that are out there today in a short amount of time. We've gotten thousands of people to kind of give us really great uh, reviews. I've, I've been kind of taken back by the early success that we've had as a company. Um, and I've just said, Hey, let's stay humble and hungry, you know, each and every day. I feel the pressure, you know, whether it's like having, um, 10,000 employees plus like the last company or, or millions of people on the network or just having 25 and thousands of people on the network, you know, every person matters in this journey of health, which I think each of you recognize it's not about, you know, having all, you know, you start with one and if you can change the experience of one person and you can touch one life and you start there, it creates, I think, a chain to another life and then another one. And we get energy from that. At our last company offsite we did, uh, we had somebody videotape in a message to us, one of, our, one of the people that we've been able to touch. And he basically said, I don't know who you all are. And he was from the Midwest. And he said, I'm so grateful for what you've done and it's changed my life and it's made my life easier. And and that that was that was all we needed, right? As a company, and I said, this is kind of what we set our. If we set ourselves out to help people, help, we just helped one person. I think that's enough, right? And so and now let's go help two people and three people and keep growing that, and use that as a foundation for us going forward. 
And that's what we've been doing. Yeah. The word impact <laughs> seen in a totally other way. If that's not impact, I don't know what is. Yeah. That's really incredible. Khalil, any last questions? No, I, I don't have anything else. I'm just so grateful for this time with you, David. Um, I'd also like to acknowledge and recognize Neha and myself. We were a little starstruck, but I think we kept it very professional. So good job to us. And um, yeah, just thank you. I think uh, a lot of great information um, that I'm, I'm really glad you shared. No, you don't need to thank me. You guys, um, you guys have done an amazing job. I've listened to many of your uh, chats, as you can tell, with some of your prior speakers and really enjoyed those conversations. Obviously, I would encourage everyone, hopefully, I'm hope, I'm hoping all the students listen to your podcast, not just myself going forward, and listen to historical ones, because I will tell you, there's such great nuggets um, in all of you know your speakers when they come and spend time. So it's another example of you guys giving back to the community. And, you know, the network could be live the network could be you know obviously just like this um that's being done in different medians and um you you have done an incredible job with all of your podcasts that you've done i mean there's a lot of them with a lot of diverse speakers that you've had over the years uh and i just hope more people get to hear what you are up to so keep it going i'm a huge fan well with that incredible endorsement and i'm still remembering stay humble stay hungry and uh, I cannot believe, uh, David, that you didn't pursue that Broadway career. I'm a little disappointed there, but I'm also thrilled that we learned so much about you today. Uh, not just, of course, all the incredible things that you know we know about you in your bio and you know the Stern website, but you as a person. So thank you for this opportunity. And thank you very much, and uh, have a great day, guys. Take care. Wow, what an amazing conversation! I really appreciated that candor from such a big deal in the Stern community. Yeah, that was fantastic. Although, I can't believe he called out the MBAs for reaching out less than the undergrads. Guess I have some emails to start drafting. <laughs> thanks again to the incredible David Coe for taking time out of his busy day to chat. And thanks to our listeners for joining us. Take care, everyone. 